What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. I'm your host, Andrew Neuer, coming at you on a Wednesday night on June 15th. That's the sweet sound of a mango grapefruit loon juice. Let me know what you're drinking in the comments section below. We have a lot to talk about, so let's talk some Minnesota sports. Today's episode is brought to you by Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty. The real estate economy right now is crazy, and it's the perfect time to sell your house. Whether you're looking to sell, invest in real estate, or find your next dream home, then Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty is your guy. Eric is committed to bringing you an experience that goes beyond just buying or selling a home. If that sounds like you, give Eric Molsather a call at 651-357-6528 or email him at eric.molsather at cbrealty.com. That's eric with a k dot m-o-l-s-a-t-h-e-r at cbrealty.com and tell him Andrew sent you. As always, let's begin things with the Minnesota Twins after kind of a disappointing Yankee series where they were up and they gave it away after hitting, what was it, five, six, some home runs off Garrett Cole. You go to Tampa Bay, you win that series again like you did earlier this season. And then you go out to Seattle. I The, the West Coast games are almost over. We still got Arizona coming up here. But even though they're out and they're playing at 9 o'clock, they're making me want to go to sleep with their offense. It looked like the offense was back on track, but I don't know. It, it just seems like they've lost a step again. It, it feels like after playing the Yankees and they're, they're putting up eight, nine runs, and then you go out to Seattle where you should play, honestly, a lot better after because you're not playing Garrett Cole. You're not playing Cortez. You're going up against Gonzalez, etc. And in game one, it was a 3-2 win. Byron Buxton led things off with a two-run bomb because – of course he did. And then obviously Max Kepler came through, gave the Twins their third run, which ended up giving them the 3-2 win. Game two was obviously miserable. There were so many times where I was like, do I just go lay in bed, try and fall asleep to this offense? Because, my Lord, that was boring to watch. Another shutout, that's, uh, I believe I counted it, that's the ninth shutout this season already. And... I saw the stat, was it yesterday or today? The Twins have been shut out the most in baseball. And that's not something you expect when Byron Buxton's in your lineup. That's not something you expect when Luis Arise is in your lineup or Carlos Correa, Jorge Polanco, etc. The list goes on. The Twins have a very strong up front four with Polanco, Arise, Buxton, and Correa. There should be no reason this team is not scoring at least one run. And even their back. Five players. You have Trevor Larnick, who's been good most of the season. He's kind of struggling sometimes. Right now, he's kind of in a little bit of a rut. But you also have Gio Urshela, who's been great. You have Max Kepler, who has shown up in big moments at times. You have Gary Sanchez, who has come through. There's just a lot of different players and key components to this offense that there should be no reason they're going on a 5-0 loss to Seattle, even if Logan Gilbert is on the mound. Game three, it felt great to be on the other end of it on the shutout. Minnesota shuts out Seattle with a 5-0 win. Sonny Gray, great to have him back on the mound. Forgot about Joe Ryan. Joe Ryan looked great, but you could still see that he wasn't fully up to speed. 
where maybe he needs a little more conditioning, maybe a little more. I, I'm not really worried about it. I think by next start, you should see that he's touching his upper 92, 93 for a longer period of time versus throwing 89 later in his start. That's just something we're not really used to seeing Joe Ryan do, but obviously COVID played a probably a big factor in that he hasn't pitched in, I don't know, weeks. He looks pretty good in St. Paul. I tweet, I was at that game. I tweeted that he looked good. The only concern I had during that St. Paul game was he gave up a lot of hard contact. And we kind of saw that in that 5-0 loss where he gave up those two two-run home runs. And that was mo- that was kind of the deciding factor in that game. Obviously, those were the four runs right there. And then you have you have the, the fifth run coming off a double or whatever it was. Game three, though, gave a 5-0 win. Sonny Gray, great to have him back on the mound. It's unfortunate he couldn't get the win. He looked dominant. Five innings, gave up, I think, three hits, had three strikeouts. That's just the kind of performance that you're expecting out of your number one starter. And Joe Ryan is the number one starter, but I thought YouTube TV kind of brought it up nicely. If you're in a one-game situation where you need a win, who are you going to? Are you going to Joe Ryan or are you going to Sonny Gray? The answer is Sonny Gray. He has more experience, and I think you just feel more comfortable with him on the mound. Joe Ryan has looked awesome for the most part all season, but Sonny Gray is Sonny Gray, and there's a reason you traded Chase Petty for him. I would feel more comfortable with Sonny Gray on the mound in that situation, and I think we see, we're saw, we we're seeing it in these last couple starts. He Before getting injured, he was throwing, what was it, seven some innings he was he had 10 some strikeouts in his start when i was at the game ah uh, man who was it against detroit if i looked it up i know but he threw double digit strikeouts and he's been really great in his last couple starts and we saw it again today it's just unfortunate the twins couldn't get any offense going until he left the game so he didn't get the win but nonetheless this felt like a big win and the reason it felt like a big win is because in the past, I think when the offense is slow, you kind of have a like gut feeling that like the offense is not going to come through when you need it, but, like in a in a moment, like in the eighth inning with runners in scoring position, and that the bullpen is going to throw this game away. And that wasn't the case today. We saw the offense come up in big moments. Ryan Jeffers, who was I think the Twins' best offensive player today had the double earlier in the game, took great at-bats, and then he had the RBI single to give the Twins 1-0 lead, which is why I gave him the MVP, because he got the tw- offense rolling. And without that hit, I don't know, maybe if Minnesota even is in this position, maybe we're not even talking about a win. Maybe we're talking about a loss if he doesn't get that RBI single to get the offense going. There's just a lot of components to this one, and Jarrell Cotton struggled there in the ninth, but he pulled through. He showed us why he's up in the big leagues. The bullpen looked great. Joe Smith, you really need to see that out of him. He's been kind of struggling as of late. And the offense came up in big moments. In that situation, Luis Arise, he's uh, really great, obviously, against righties. And in that moment, when he's hitting 390 or whatever it is against right-handed pitchers, and there's a guy at second and third base. Why would you not just intentionally walk him? Jose Miranda's up next, and Jose Miranda has come up big in recent weeks. But Luis Arise is Luis Arise, and there's a reason he leads the league in batting average. 
and in that situation, if I was Seattle, I would definitely intentionally walk him, and they didn't, which obviously Luis Arise is going to make you pay, and he did, and he gave you a two-run single, and which, and that was kind of almost just like the nail in the coffin there, and that's all I really got to say. It just it felt like a really big game for Minnesota to take here, especially obviously not even just a series win, but just showing that the bullpen can step up in big moments. Sonny Gray looked awesome. And the offense came through when the runners were in scoring position. Scoring position, sorry. Jorge Polanco, though, like he's been out with a back tightness, and I'm kind of I'm I'm a little concerned about it because anytime you're talking about a back, anytime you're talking about a knee, there's always cause for concern because those are arguably the two biggest injuries. Maybe obviously you have the. Tommy John surgery if you're a pitcher, but for the most part, backs and knee injuries are kind of the two that I'm like always really nervous about. So right now, Jorge Polanco isn't on the 10-day IL, but he missed. He hasn't played since June 12th, and he didn't even finish that game. I If he's not able to go, Rocco Baldelli said like that his back hasn't gotten any worse but that it's not gotten any better, which is kind of alarming because it's been what three, four days. I won't, maybe we won't count June 12th just because that's like the day probably when it started, or maybe it was building up before that. But still, if it's not getting any better, I think you need to place him on the 10 day IL. And then the question becomes who replaces them. And I tutored out. And the clear answer is Alex Kirilov. He's been absolutely shredding it in St. Paul, and he deserves a shot again. And as I said, I'm recording this on Wednesday night, so the game, the St. Paul Saints game, is going on right now. So these are not up; these will not be fully updated if you're listening to this on Thursday or Friday. But the stats are so alarming—not alarming—it's so incredibly high that it really doesn't fact. Even if he goes 0 for 10 today with 10 strikeouts. His batting average and everything around his stats is still going to look great. In 33 games, he's hitting 368. He has an on-base percentage of 466 and a slugging percentage of 664. 664, yeah. 664, I thought I said three sixes there. His OPS is also 1.13, which is absolutely absurd. If you're not familiar with the OPS, it's just a combination of slugging and on-base percentage. But anytime you're seeing that above one, that's just... That's an elite level. He's also hit 10 home runs and he's driven in 32 RBIs. And any team in the MLB could use a player like that in their lineup. And obviously the biggest question is, how is the wrist? And in the past, we've seen articles explaining, hey, I'm just trying to deal with this wrist pain right now. It's something I believe I can sort of play with in the future. It sounds like he's optimistic that he's not going to have another have to do another procedure where they essentially I have to look it up the actual terminology, but essentially it's just like cutting down the muscle or bone, whatever it is, so that it so that his wrist can move without it rubbing up against each other, like, so the bones cannot rub up against each other. And obviously, that's a very serious procedure, but for the most part, I'm not worried about it because I was worried about it when he was up in the big leagues and he's hitting 100, whatever it is. 
But right now in St. Paul, he's hitting 368. He's hitting 10 home runs. He hit a grand slam the other night. He was a triple shy of the cycle. Alex Kirilov, whether his wrist is bothering him out, it doesn't really look like it because he's playing so freaking good. And so if he if you do call up Alex Kirilov and you give him another shot at the big leagues, you play him at first base and you have Arise play second. Obviously, there is concern. Like, if you're calling up Alex Kirilov, are you really going to send him back down in 10 days? That's something you have to think about. And also, Minnesota is probably taking their time on Alex Kirilov because they're probably not wanting to send him back down again. This is probably his last sort of shot at if you're going to stick in the big leagues or, or so. The other move, if you're worried about the 10-day IL and sending him back down, is Spencer Steer, who is very deserving of it as well. He's a number twins. He's a Twins number nine prospect. He started the year in Double A and he's moved his way up to Triple A. Between the two clubs, he's hitting 297 with a 383 on base percentage, a 662 slugging percentage, and an OPS of 1.005. He's also hit 16 home runs and driven in 49 RBIs. That's insane. It's simply incredible. He deserves to be up in the big leagues, and it just sucks because you have Giro Shella playing third. You have Carlos Correa at short. You have Luis Arias who can play second. You have Jorge Polanco who can play second. You have Nick Gordon. All these players, and there's just a logjam. And so maybe Spencer Steer becomes trade bait. We'll talk about that maybe towards the trade deadline or if anyone brings it up in an Ask Me Anything type of question. But Spencer Steer has been one of the best, if not the best, Twins prospect in the system right now. I don't really count Alex Kirilov right now because I'm looking at it more as maybe just like a rehab, sort of like get yourself right, come back to the big leagues. Spencer Steer has been dominant. And the other night, he even hit the walk-off home run against the Rochester Red Wings. And if you're worried about the 10-day IL and you want a player to come up for just a week or so or whatever timeline this is going to be, then Spencer Steer is the obvious answer. Because then you can have Arise play first. You could have Spencer Steer play second. Or even on nights where Giorgio needs a night off, Spencer Steer can, can, can go over and play third. Or he can play short. Defensively, there are some question marks, obviously. But he has this... He has the ability to play multiple positions like Luis Arise. And that's so valuable, especially when he is hitting almost 300. When he's hit 16 home runs already. And he's driving in runs when it matters. So... Long story short, Spencer Steer is the answer if you want it to just be a 10-day thing. If you want Alex Kirilov to stay up in the big leagues for good, you call him up instead. And I've already talked about Tyler Duffy at length in the last pod, so I'm not going to keep continuing to shit on him. But I will say that sending down Giovanni Giovanni Moran instead of DFAing Tyler Duffy was stupid. Moran this season has an ERA of 1.74 and only 10.1 innings. Whereas Duffy... He's got an ERA of 6.38 in 24 innings pitched. And I get that Tyler Duffy has more of a history with the Twins. He has this resume of being one of the better relievers in baseball. But at this point, his velocity is down. And just everything about him, his pitches are missing. And players are just smoking home runs off him. There should be no reason Tyler Duffy is still in this roster. And the only thing I can think of is because he's been with the Twins for so long and that he has a dominant resume from the past. Other than that, Giovanni Moran should be the guy up, and it should not be Tyler Duffy. But that's just my opinion. 
Well, let's talk about one of the better relievers in the Twins bullpen, Caleb Thielbar. I know what you're thinking. Yes, his ERA is 5.16, and he has a 2-3 and three record. But his stats are extremely deceiving. When you look at just his, like, if you just look at that, you're saying 5.16 ERA, you just got done shitting on Tyler Duffy, who has a 6.38 ERA. The difference between him and Caleb Thielbar is Thielbar is throwing at a higher velocity, and his splits are improving drastically. In April, and he pitched 6.1 innings, and he had a 12.79 ERA, and opponents were hitting 333 off him. May came around, 13 innings pitch, 2.08 ERA, and opponents were hitting 152 off him. In June, a small sample size, but it is 3.1 innings pitch, a 2.7 ERA. He just gave up an earned run last night to Seattle. It's last night, meaning Tuesday night. And opponents are hitting 308 off him, but it's in 3.1 innings pitch. So maybe in two weeks' time, that's down to 250 or that's down to 233. Whatever it is, Caleb Thielbar has dropped his ERA from April from 12.79 down to the two range. That's a 10-point jump, essentially. And because his ERA is at 5.16, we're not talking about him enough. But he has been one of the better Twins relievers. And obviously because he is, you know, obviously he's a lefty. He's thrown, if he's thrown against left-handed hitters, he's going to have a lot more success. Lefties right now are hitting 172 off him and righties are hitting 263. So I just wanted to kind of talk about him. He's flown under the radar. And just because his ERA was really bad in April, it's kind of still showing through the month of June here. But in time, that will just continue dropping like it already has. It's gone from 12.79. It's already down seven points. And that should just continue to trend in that direction. We have to give Byron Buxton some love. One AL player of the week. And he's been on just another level. It's something that only the greatest baseball players can do. In June, he's hitting 295 with a 392 on-base percentage. And he's also got an eight. Sorry, he's got an 818 slugging percentage. He's hit seven home runs and dri- driven in 11 RBIs during that week where he won player of the week. He hit 333, had five home runs, seven RBIs, and he slugged 1.095. Just slugging 1.095 is literally insane. I don't you it's it's I can't even compute it right now. That's why I keep stuttering over my words here. But when he's on, he's literally the best player in, in baseball, and I don't think it's close. He's great defensively. He's got power. He has speed. He can get base hits. He can do anything you ask him to do. And there was that stretch where obviously his batting average doesn't look that great right now, but it is going up pretty quickly. He had that stretch where he wasn't hitting very well, but now we're starting to see he's getting healthy. He's starting to feel confident again. And I think the key is obviously he's playing designated hitter more. He's getting those days off. And just to put it like in simpler terms, having these days off and allowing him to sort of listen to his body instead of just going out there every day just to play, it's allowing him to stay ready. It's allowing him to play better baseball. And we're seeing the results of it right now. We're also not seeing Byron Buxton... And maybe it's because he's not fully healthy, but we're seeing him not run full speed down the line every time. And honestly, I'm okay with it. 
because his speed is good enough where he can run at a solid pace and still probably be faster than most players. And when you're running constantly like that, that's where he always seemed to get hurt. Obviously, he got hurt a lot in center field when he's either crashing on the walls, running in the field, whatever. But when he runs to first base and you're starting, when you're going 0 to 100 that quickly, that's when you start seeing a hamstring or you see some other injury flare up. And because he's not running full speed every single time, right out of the batter's box, that has been such a big thing for him to stay healthy, I believe. And it's just incredible to see. It's been fun watching him. We're we're honestly blessed to see that Byron Buxton and Luis Arise and Carlos Correa in the same lineup. It's simply not fair. Let's talk about the upcoming schedule. After this game, uh, after this series, sorry, against the Seattle Mariners, they have a day off on Thursday. They will go to Arizona where they will play three there. The Diamondbacks this, se- this season are 30 and 35. And in their last 10, they're only four and six. So that's a three game series. You either have to sweep or get all, or just get two. The probables for that series is Devin Smelter against Madison Bumgarner. Then you have Dylan Bundy against Weaver and Chris Archer versus Kelly. Bumgarner is the candidate the Twins could trade for, but his contract is so bad that I wouldn't really touch him. He's going to be making way too much money for his age. And he's been really kind of off and on with Arizona. But this season, he has been good. He's 2-6. and six. Record doesn't really look great, but he's, he's playing for a losing team. His ERA is 3.5, so that's obviously really good. Then you're going on to play Luke Weaver, who in two games, 3.2 innings pitch, is 1-0 with an ERA of 4.91. Again, I wouldn't worry about him either. He's never been really good in his seven-year career. In seven years, he has a 4.64 ERA. So I'm not really stressing about a guy who has an ERA above four. Then you go to face Merrill Kelly, who has been good this season. He's 5-4, has an ERA of 3.68 and a wins above replacement of one. So ideally, if Minnesota loses, it's probably going to be against Kelly. I would say I think he's been their better pitcher of the three. Bumgarner has been good, but we've seen him in the past. He's a little streaky at times. Then after that, you go on to play Cleveland at home 4-3, and that is a very, 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 very important series. And that's because Cleveland... Is only three games behind Minnesota. They're playing Colorado as we speak right now. So that could trim. That lead could trim. So if you're playing three, and let's just say you win two or three, you're building that lead back up to six or five and a half or five or whatever it is at that moment in time. But pushing that back and gaining that much more comfort is important. Obviously, winning against a division is a big thing. But Cleveland, you also playing them later again this month. So you really need to take advantage of it at home. Then you go on to play Colorado at home as well. And they're 27-35. They're not doing much damage this season. So I de- and honestly, like if you're looking at the next upcoming three series against the Diamondbacks, the Guardians, and the Rockies, you're looking at it and hoping they at least, they should win every single series upcoming, if not sweep two out of three. Hopefully that's the case. Minnesota's 37-28, and they need to take full advantage of the stretch. All right, let's end things off with the Minnesota Timberwolves. The last couple of podcasts, we've been talking about 
the draft. So we've been talking about forwards. We've been talking about centers. This week, we're going to be talking about the guards. And first up, I want to talk about Ty Ty Washington, who just being on Twitter looks like everyone's favorite pick if they're going to go point guard route, and which obviously is reasonable. He's probably in that range. He should be the number one guy, I'd say. Is he my number one guy? Probably not, but that's just because at 19, I believe you should go for more upside versus just trying to nail a guy who might be solid bench player, a solid role player, which is obviously great. But at 19, sometimes I like that go for the home run play, especially when you're Minnesota and you can't get, you know, all-star level talent coming into Minnesota, like through free agency and stuff. So Ty Ty Washington, he was SEC all freshman, 6'3 point guard, 197 197 pounds. He was a number 14 recruit out of high school. Went to Kentucky, obviously. And when you're talking about Kentucky players, for the most part, they're pretty much a sure thing in some sort of capacity, whether that's a decent NBA career off the bench or as an all-star or MVP, etc. Last season, he averaged 12.5 points, 3.9 assists, and 3.5 rebounds. As we've done with the NFL draft and the other NBA coverage here, we're going to do the pros and cons. So the pros, his size. Wish he was obviously a little bit taller than 6'3", because if you're playing him at a combo guard, might not be better suited at the shooting guard position because he's only 6'3". But if you watch some of his stuff, if you look up some of his kind of report on the player, playing off ball might be something he's going to be really good at. But at his size, you're a little concerned at with you're a little concerned with. But at 197 pounds, you'd like that from your point guard. He's also a really good mid-range shooter, which in today's game, obviously I'm a huge DeMar DeRozan fan. I'm a huge fan of the mid-range. I don't think taking away mid-range shots is smart. I think you need that to open up every single part of your offense. And if a player is efficient from 15 feet, from 20 feet, whatever, I don't care. A basket is a basket. I'd take two versus potentially missing a three. Obviously, analytics will say go for the layup and the three-point shot, and I'm full. I'm fully on board with it, but sometimes you do need that mid-range shot, and those teams that fully go away from it, you're, I, I'm not a huge believer in that kind of thing. But he's a great mid-range shooter. When he watches highlights, he loves using that in the pick-and-roll and using that as his way of getting up that mid-range shot or just pulling up. He's also really good at going left and then pulling up in the mid-range. So that's one of his like three areas of strength is either just dribbling, pulling up, going left, or in the pick and roll. He has the potential to become a really good three-point shooter. He shot 35% on 3.3 attempts. And as I said before, he's kind of just a, a sure thing. He makes winning plays, and he's efficient. And, I mean, we saw what Jordan McLaughlin did in the playoffs. That's a important thing we saw Tyus Jones we like all these different players who might not be flashy who might not be all-star level who just come in make great plays and contribute to winning basketball that's extremely important in the NBA and that's what Ty Ty Washington brings to the table he's a great ball mover he makes great passes and he gets others involved which is honestly a really good thing with this roster especially when you consider you have D'Angelo Russell you have Anthony Edwards and you have Carl Anthony Towns. 
all these different guys, even Malik Beasley, if Ty Ty Washington's coming off the bench, that's a really strong asset to have if you're going to be coming a Minnesota Timberwolf right now. Some of the cons I talked about before, if you want to play him as a two guard, you're a little bit concerned with his height. He doesn't have that much burst or athleticism, which is why he does so many mid-range shots is because he's he uses craftiness versus his burst to get around players. So when he's when you're watching him play, he doesn't get to the rim like most athletic, really quick burst players do. So instead, he'll dribble. He'll kind of get a little flashy with it in that sense and then pull up. So overall, like I think his game is really solid. And if Minnesota drafted him, I think you can expect a really good NBA player who would have a really long career. He's not a home run type pick, but he's definitely going to be someone that you can count on in big moments or just in late game situations. And that's important to have. I'm fully on board if Minnesota drafts him. Like I said, I'm just not fully, fully sold on him. And that's just because if we're talking about other players, there's a lot of other players, I like whether it's a forward, center, or some of the other guys I'm going to be talking about next. And the next guy I want to talk about is Blake Wesley. He was ACC all-freshman, 6'4", 185 pounds, averaged 14.4 points, 3.7 rebounds, and 2.4 assists. Some of the pros about him is he's extremely athletic. When you watch him, his explosiveness is, explosiveness is off the charts. And he'd honestly just be really fun to watch with Anthony Edwards, with Jaden McDaniels. Like we'd just be seeing dunks left and right. And because he's so athletic, he uses that vertical. He uses that speed to get to the rim for easy baskets. And because he has that athleticism and his shot is pretty fluid. I like the potential that he's going to become a really good scorer at the next level. He has some improvement to do, didn't shoot efficiently, which we'll get to, but his shot looks good, and because he is so explosive, I like his ability to become a really good scorer at the next level. He dribbles the ball with ease. When you're watching him kind of bring the ball up the floor, you see him do a quick like behind the back, through the legs, get past the defender, run down and transition, and throw down an easy dunk. He's also really good in ISO situations, and the biggest thing for me that I really, really love is he has a seven-foot wingspan, which helps him create those turnovers, which leads to those easy baskets at the rim. And Minnesota likes to play fast, and we saw that with Jordan McLaughlin and what that kind of does for this Timberwolves offense. So I think if you plug in Blake Wesley and you're saying, hey, let's pick up the pace, I think you can really see an uptick in Minnesota's offense and more success, as I would say. So you have an Anthony Edwards running with him. You're having Jaden McDaniels running with him. You have Malik Beasley peeling out to the corner. You have all these different things, and I think Blake Wesley would be an incredible fit with the offense. Development, He's he was a freshman coming out of college, and there's just a lot of stuff he needs to work on still. He needs to add more strength. He's only 185 pounds. His shot looks good, but he didn't shoot it efficiently. He only shot 40.4% from the field. from three and 65.7% from the line. And usually you kind of use that free throw as a barrier of, Hey, are you going to become a great three point shooter or not? And 65.7% is not good. His efficiency overall is just not good. And you'd like to see a little more improvement out of him. So he is more of a kind of a 
player you're going to have to work with, maybe have him play in the G League for a little bit. And because he is so fast, because he is so explosive, sometimes he gets a little sloppy with it and he runs too fast. And that's when turnovers happen. That's when bad passes happen. That's when bad shots happen. So overall, I do like him more than Washington just because of his upside. He is a boomer bust player. And I think at 19, that's what you do. In 10 years, we might look at this and say, hey, that was a really dumb thing you just said. Sure. But I think long term, Wesley has the has a higher ceiling. And in, at, if you're at 19, that's what you're kind of going to go for, in my opinion, at least. The last guy I want to talk about is Jaden Hardy. And if you're talking about a home run type of player, this is to a T, a home run type of pick. He was a number two recruit out of high school. And if that name doesn't sound familiar, it's because he decided to go the G League route. So he didn't get as much exposure as some of these other guys. But what he did get is obviously money, but he also played against professional athletes, players that are in the NBA or are fringe guys that are trying to make it there. So you like that he's already had that exposure to what the NBA life is going to be like, kind of how to deal with finances, all that stuff. So the he also is 6'4 and 198 pounds. He's probably going to build on that. He's probably going to be 205, 210 real soon. Average 17.7 points, 4.6 rebounds, and 3.2 assists. So some of the pros, he's a, he's a really great scorer, and he has the ability to become a really good shooter. He has good shot creation. As I said before, average 17.7 points, and the shooting efficiency was awful. I'll point I'll say that I'll say that right now. He shot 35.1% from the field, 26.9 from 3, but he did shoot 88.2 from the line. And as I was saying before, if a guy is shooting if you guys shooting 88.2% from the line, that means he's a good shooter. Or he has the ability to become a good shooter, he has a good form, good base. And that's exactly what you see when you watch him play. If you're watching his highlights, if you're watching whatever, his shot is, looks good. His stance is good. Everything about his stroke is clean. And so I think that eventually he will, in time, become a three-point shooter who shoots over 40% or a guy who's shooting seven to eight threes a game at a 38% clip or something. You also have to remember that this guy is playing against NBA players at 19. So... Yes, he shot 35% from the field, 26.9 from three, but that will eventually develop into potentially one of the better three-point shooters in the league, as I was saying. He's really good in the pick-and-roll as well, or he has the upside to become a good pick-and-roll player. Some of the cons, he's not super explosive, which causes him to miss some shots at the rim. And he is a huge development project, so maybe he still stays in the G League. He goes plays for Iowa now. Or maybe you just have him off the bench like you did with Jaden McDaniels at the start of his career. Maybe he is a Jaden McDaniels in that sense where you're thinking, oh, this is a huge project, huge development, but if he hits, he's going to be a big-time player. So maybe he surprises you in that sense. He's already kind of had that experience playing professionals but you just don't know what to expect with him. He just makes a lot of bad decisions. His defense is a little suspect at times. He overreads it. And overall, though, like I really like 
Hardy. I think he can become one of the best shooters in the league. And out of the draft, he is one of the better shooters. Obviously, stats don't show it, but he is one of the better shooters. He can shoot it deep. He can shoot it efficiently at times. He can be he can be a clutch shooter for Minnesota in the future, etc. There's a lot of things and a lot of question marks, but there's also a lot of what ifs. You know, what if he is a buddy healed who is shooting 40% or maybe he's a, a better version of Malik Beasley. There's just so many things that you can think of. And if you're just talking about potential, he is, if he didn't have such a down year in the G League or maybe he got more exposure in college, etc. I think you're talking about a guy who could be top 10 pick, who is a lottery lock. At the beginning of the season, he should have been a lottery pick. But after kind of a little bit of a down year in the G League, he slid. So he should be available at 19 if Minnesota chooses to pick him there. I just, I really like him because he is a great shooter. And as long as you can get through those ups and downs with maybe the decision-making and you develop him into a really good player, then you got one of the best steals in the draft, in my opinion. So the guard position is a big need for Minnesota. And that's only if you choose that D'Angelo Russell is not the long-term option. And I think that's kind of where we're leaning at this moment, but that's kind of where I stand on in the whole thing. I really like Blake Wesley. I like, I like Hardy. I like Ty Ty Washington. There's a lot of really good options at 19. And we've gone over that. If you want to see, if you want to listen to it or even read my recent article, that's talk mnsports.com. You can do so there, or you can just go back and look at my other podcasts on Spotify, on Apple or on anchor. We'll be doing next week. We'll be kind of just doing a little small mock draft for the Timberwolves. You know, the draft is literally just days away, June 23rd to be exact. So, it's an exciting time to be a Wolves fan. We're not in the lottery, but we're going to have a lot of fun next week with it. And that wraps up our 13th episode. Thank you all for listening. Cheers.